Welcome to the Sea Film Podcast. I'm Scott Higgins, director of the College of Film and the Moving Image at Wesleyan University. Today, we have a discussion with the creative team behind the award-winning sci-fi audio drama, Wolf 359. They are Wesleyan graduates Gabriel Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Together, they're writers and producers of audio fiction living in Brooklyn, and last fall, they followed up Wolf 359 with a short-run series called Time Bombs. Just last week, they launched an online course about writing and producing drama podcasts called Audio Fiction 101, and we'll say more about that at the end of this episode. Right now, we're here to talk about Time Bombs, their experimental series, and about actual time bombs and why they might be good for storytelling. I've missed you guys. Well, we're here to talk about time bombs, but we can talk about everything and anything. After you finished Wolf 359, which had a glorious run, um, you reappeared in the uh, dramatic space in, in the podcast world with this very short show called Time Bombs, which nonetheless is gripping. And how many episodes was it? It was three episodes. Three, three episodes. Um, and a blue meal. <laughs> Oh, here's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Blew me away. This is going to um, be a fun interview. <laughs> no, it was awesome. Uh, and then oh, after you. I listened to it, I realized, because you told me that you'd done it all in a week, which is humbling. Um, and so I want to talk to you about the process of making it. And did you really yeah. do it in a week? And I recommend anybody who's listening. We did. To go so the answer is yes. And the idea wasn't originally created in that week. We had, I think, or at least the concept had right, been right, around. The concept had been developed as a TV property. Um, Gabrielle had sort of uh, cooked this up back in the day. And I think we'd even entered it as a video. Where, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. Like we'd entered it for a scriptwriting competition. Yeah, it was the New York had pilot a video introduction. We never actually yeah. shot right, 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 anything uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, related to script. With that said, I think that the only things that were ported over from that the were name. that were the name <laughs> the concept of following a bomb squad and the main character was called simon teller yeah. i think everything else was reworked for the pretty substantially version. yeah i think yeah. the reporter character was originally um a, another member of the bomb squad and we just stole the name and i think that's uh-huh. about all that came over well see that's what's impressive is that i mean not only did you record the thing of the week, which is not easy, but you wrote the damn thing too. I mean, that and is, it, yes. it plays that, really well. Right. No, it's, and Scott, that's the hard part, honestly. Yeah. And we did it the especially foolish way because smart people would have done this project under a veil of secrecy and then released it and sort of said, we did this in a week. Um, we went the opposite of the smart way. We did and the, the first, social media route, which right, is the, the never first a good thing idea. That we did was get on YouTube and announce to people in one week we are going to have a finished product. That's and as soon work. as we turn off this video, we're going to go figure out what the story is. Uh, so we sort of made a public promise of come back in seven days for a finished audio drama, and then we got to work. That that's your fear of public embarrassment is the keys to success. Fear yes. of public shame presents. Yeah, that's right. Uh, announce that you're going to do it. Yeah. Then, so then you have to, to do you. it. Yeah, and you did it. Um, wow. So I didn't know that backstory. It just kind of popped up um, in my feed. Oh, time bombs. This looks interesting. Um, and uh, so, good thing you worked that one out. It only took one all nighter. Yeah. We are very happy to say. Oh wow. 
Yes. You slept normally the other times. So. Well, yeah, we, no, so we slept the other nights. And minimum amount of sleep was had. But and you were doing day jobs at the same time or were you able to take off time and just devote entirely to it? I definitely had some client work um, that week, but I also mostly... had some work. I, I think that I took time off and it was my full-time job for those seven days. And otherwise we were balancing it with these two guys as work I definitely worked a lot less that week. Yeah. And then when it was uh, like, I, I think it was, I was much less involved on the writing side. Like I was there for sort of the overarching meetings, like the, the high level stuff. And then uh, I came in for a couple cameos in the recording process and was just producing and, you know, brought the snacks um, and then was in the trenches on the editing. Yeah, and I, I, Zach made the editing. He happen. made the editing yeah. happen, whereas <laughs> I was sort of in the trenches on the writing side, and then did very, very little with the editing. Ah, got it. So you all pitched in around the center pivot that was Gabriel Arena. Indeed. Who was stuck <laughs> for the long run? Oh, Whose idea yeah. was this to to do the like? Who thought this would be a good idea? I, Nobody thought it would be a good idea. Okay. <laughs> well, then um, why did you do it? Well, I think you were, it's because you were going to Austin, right? No, we were talking about it even before then. Oh, that's right. Um, we were, you know, we had kind of been, Wolf 359 ended in December of 2017. And we spent the first seven months of 2018 working on new ideas and new properties half of which got shelved and half of which were things that we're still developing but optimistically they'll see the light of day sometime around 2020 2021 2022 um and after half a year of that we were getting really discouraged like we were kind of really missing kind of putting things out there and at some point we were having a dinner and i don't know who it was that said it half as a joke, but kind of wanting it to be serious of, God, we should just do something where the main thing is it will need to be done quickly. Like yeah, we like will a 24-hour not... play style. Exactly, thing. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about that back in August, and then we decided to go for it in October. Um, but yeah, but I think that that was kind of the genesis of doing it. And we got to work with actors who we really loved, and we got to go back into a studio, and we got to feel that we were actually making something that people could listen and play. And that was awesome. I will say that it does, it feels like it picks up where Wolf left off. Not, I mean, in terms of plot, of course, but in terms of camaraderie and actor familiarity with one another and just everybody seemed to like within a very short time hit the ground running. They were their characters and that thing didn't stop moving for the length of its run. Um, which is, it reminds me of the early years of Buffy. Um, in which if you go back and watch the early years of Buffy, it's the cast is not coming together. And no, they then, haven't quite got the rhythm of the dialogue in those early episodes. Yeah. Or or the rhythm much, of TV, really? I mean there's something much odd. Like season one of Wolf. Wolf 359. This is true. <laughs> but um I mean you look you look at Angel, people walk on and they're there. Dollhouse. Sure. Oh, because, Ser yeah. Serenity is the best example of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. first he now has enough money to hire professionals, <laughs> and sure. um, but also the people that he was working with all those years have grown up. Exactly. Um, and so I felt a similar Buffy to Serenity jump. I mean, like just in like, oh, 
right, they're doing this for real, and and it it feels like a real thing. Um, and it did feel like a, a strong extension of one of the side stories that you did in Wolf. Yes. With the um the stakeout, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and you know what was part of the key, Scott, that because it was so tightly scheduled and because we just didn't have any time to go before we started before the week was up we kind of got in touch with our actor friends uh, we sort of told them we're recording this sunday who Are is around available? who yeah. would like to be involved and so we knew which four actors we were going to be working with before we started writing it wasn't we were writing a character out of whole cloth and then finding Great. someone to fit them we kind yeah. of were going we know that this character is going to be played by Noah Mazur. So let's make right. him really Noah Mazur. And let's like give him some things that play into Noah's strengths. And let's give him some of the things that we know that Noah likes to play. And let's give him some of the challenges that we know that Noah will be excited to try out. And so also, I think it, yeah. it helped to that. Like we, they were our actor friends, all of these people. I think Noah and Peter hadn't worked together before, hmm. but everyone else had worked together on Wolf. Um, they understood immediately sort of what the rhythm was between each other um, mm -hmm. and with the writing and all of that. Except for Mike. But he um, is Mr. Oh, rhythm yes. and he can but, step yeah. into anything exactly. and feel fully well, and, and that's the thing. It's yeah. like, you know, we've all been, uh, I think, well, I actually forget if you guys have been on um, Potterless. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. We were guests um, on his own I thought podcast so. separately. Um, so, right, we've all uh, right. hung out with Mike. So, like, I think that that's the idea is, like, writing to the actors versus trying to, like, you know, get people up to speed on a character that wasn't tailored to them. Yeah, it's, like, it's a star system, right? You have a, your own little yes. studio. <laughs> and you just wait writing for John Wayne, which means you don't need a lot of backstory. Right. Yeah. And you can, Except it's and, no amazer, you know, it's, yeah. and you can, Same and you thing. have, and it really frees you up as a writer to kind of be able to go like, Oh God, is this going to work? And then you look at your writing partner and you can both kind of go like, Oh no, we know that person. They'll make that work. It'll yeah. be fine. So we should say this so that people listening have some idea what the hell we're talking about. Could you give me a quick <laughs> thumbnail of what time bombs is about? Sure. Uh, it is the story of a uh, unit of the New York uh, City Police Department bomb squad on New Year's Eve, um, which happens to be the busiest night of the year for bomb squads in New York City because fireworks, shenanigans, drunk, uh, <laughs> escapades. Every, everyone is trying to get something out of their system before yes. the year's over. Uh, and it sort of follows this uh, bomb squad and a reporter who is embedded with them um over the course of the uh the single night um from around six in the or yeah no like eight in the evening to midnight um and the bombs that they find and the interpersonal conflicts that they have and um several shenanigans that they get into right and so is there any basis in reality here at all there Do you know a... that bombs that there's more bombing in new york on new year's there was a non-zero amount of research that went into this, and I think oh, Gabrielle good. probably has. Yeah, you probably did the most because of the research you did for the original concept. I did like a crash course in the first 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. and I know nothing about it. <laughs> it is a profession that I've always found really fascinating and really interesting. Um, and it is just this fascinating position that people end up putting themselves in. And... Um, 
there are a lot of really cool, interesting things about kind of the ethos and the philosophy that when you are a member, not just of the police, but specifically of the bomb squad, you kind of put yourself in. Um, so I've read about two books about mm. bomb squad um, mm. life and operations. Um, and a lot of that kind of informed not so much the procedures and like the jargon that was in it, which we intentionally kind of went, Fudged. we would rather create something ourselves that will be like its own impressionistic version of this rather than something that will be trying to ape the real thing, but will right. inevitably right. come up short. Um, but instead just kind of do something that is more of a portrait of what we think the psychological experience of being in the bomb squad is like. Um, but yes, but apparently New Year's is the busiest huh. night of the year for Bomb Squad members in American cities. Well, tell me about time bombs as a narrative device. <laughs> Start. Why is it so great? Why do we love them? Because as soon as I heard the title of this thing, I thought it hadn't occurred to me. But, oh, that's that's perfect. <laughs> that's a perfect premise for a drama. Um what do we know about what are your favorite time bomb movies and what do we know about time bombs and, and why they work well, I just, for storytelling? I remember a certain film professor teaching me something along the lines of if you want a surprise, you have people playing cards and then all of a sudden the room goes boom because, because somebody there was a must have strapped a bomb under the yeah. table and they're trying to kill the mafia or whatever. If you want suspense, you show the audience that there is a bomb and then you go back to the card game and you wait. And there's that <laughs> yeah. tension between... And so I think that that right there sort of is the the pithy way of, you know, capturing why time bombs is such a great narrative device. Cause, and, and I, you know, there's the double entendre for this particular series where it's not just the fact that they are disarming bombs. It's that these characters are bomb, like explosive them, themselves. And, you know, they might go off. They might moment, go off. Especially yeah. the Simon Teller, uh, you know, character who is, so ambitious and anxious to prove himself and measure up to you know to his potential that he's you know maybe putting some other people at risk i like that so it's hitchcock and that was um something very essential i think that hitchcock used the time bomb as a metaphor because it's just so clear but for him it, it was both a metaphor and a literal scene <laughs> that mm -hmm. he could make um but meta I mean, metaphorically, is if you create some kind of tension, the audience will lean forward, and then you're up to this old game of withholding that you you love so much. Not what you don't show when you don't cut to the bomb. That's when you have the audience in the palm of your hand, as long as they know it's there. Um, have you ever seen the episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents about the guy that's trying to kill his wife with a time bomb? No. Oh, it's one of it's one of the best. Um, one of the best episodes of that, and I'll just give you like the basic premise, but it's this guy, he's wants to kill his wife. And so what he's doing is he's setting up this bomb in their house and he, you know, he puts it on a timer and then he's like, all right, I'm going to get out of here. And then when she comes back from wherever she is, the bomb will go off and he's just about to leave the house when some burglars burst in and they beat him up and they tie him up and they gag him. And so he can't tell them that there's a bomb and they don't know. And it's all about like him trying to like non-verbally get across to them. Like, no, you don't understand. We all need to get out of here. Uh, and boy, wow. like my fingers oh, were bleeding. I'd bitten my nails so thoroughly by the time that I was done with that half hour. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it reminds me of uh, serials, of course, a very common ending to one episode of a series is set a time bomb. And the next episode has to show how the heroes got out of the situation. But right. in serials, they would show it explode. Right. So at the end, you would see the cabin explode. Then the next episode would have to reveal how somebody got out. Right. Um, and my, my favorite it out example. It was a different cabin or, you well, know, usually. They're... Yeah. There's like an ellipsis. They just managed to. Um, there's one where the, in Daredevils of the Red Circle where the uh, good guys are interrogating a crazy professor. See, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> the crazy professor is caught. There's nowhere to go. So he hits this button. Something that he installed in his office is a time bomb with a three minute fuse. Um, and basically, okay, now we all have to get out of here or we all die. Um, and, um, it seems like they don't, they don't get out cause he's hidden the time bomb as well. Like they have to figure out where in the room it's hidden and then diffuse it. The other one that comes, this is just me cause I love this part. This is from a, a serial called the great Alaskan mystery in which the bad guy wires the bottom step of the steps into a cellar with a pressure plate that will make a bomb explode. That's like mm-hmm. midway through the episode. The rest of the episode, for a long period, just to create tension, they show somebody walking down the stairs and just step over that last step. Of course, and then of somebody course. goes up the stairs, steps over that step. And so they've got nothing to do in the serial except people going up and down stairs. And yet, I'm like, I'm glued to it. Well, they step on that step. Um, so kudos to you for making a whole uh, world about about time bombs. Um, well, no. And I think that yeah. that actually like speaks a lot to why we love them as narrative devices. I think that we tend to the situations that we find the most suspenseful are rarely situations where it's God, anything might happen. Like there's about 500 possibilities of right. what could go wrong. It's usually, you know, we find coin flips suspenseful. They'll mm-hmm. either be heads mm-hmm. or tails. And likewise, you know, so like, that you can imagine both outcomes. Exactly. Yeah. And it'll either be the police will either find the thief hiding in the house or they won't um and time bombs just like create this big high stakes coin flip in the story where it's Mm -hmm. well this is either going to go off or not and it'll either go off if something doesn't happen or it'll go off if something does happen and as soon as just like you can get that across to the audience then you're just kind of sitting there waiting for the one of two outcomes to come true and I love your description of the time bomb and how people usually get it wrong. Like it's a rock solid device that needs one trigger to set off. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, it is a system that is completely unstable and is ready to become the bomb at any second. I mean, it's not a matter of one trigger. And that in audio, that worked nicely to like energize the whole the whole moment. Well, um, and that's one of the first things that they talk about in any literature regarding to this of like, this is why it's so important and why they tell everyone kind of like, don't touch it. Don't go near it. Don't breathe near it. Just like get as far away as you can and let us handle it because what you, you're going to be correcting for the one thing that you think is going to set it off. And you are not going to know about the 50 other things that are going to take this thing off pause. My God. And the fact that like it, it's especially nice on the radio, um, I mean, it's it, it's nice because it's true. Uh, but when you can't see a bomb and you can't see a timer and you have no sense of how this thing works or feels or looks, 
having the information that like the entire thing is just dangerous buys you a lot of suspense mm -hmm. right so it reminds me of two of my favorite films one of which i start the action film class with which is speed <laughs> Jan de Bont's, uh masterpiece of action cinema and the other one is um a hurt locker right and this film kind of has this film see i did it this your podcast has both of those in it right so speed is the genre rush um, right but in speed i'm reminded like that that bomb man is built to withstand a lot like oh, it's yeah. not going yeah. off until it's meant to go off no like uh, that bus yeah. is jumping yeah. over that like <laughs> yeah, right. and, and yeah. the landing is not setting it off somehow um but then zero dark not Zero Dark Thirty. Hurt Locker, Hurt Locker. is is like the um, it, it follows the same character kind of investigation that you've got going on, which is mm -hmm. well, what is this kind of person that's committed to this world? Right. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know. Did you did you consider those when you were when you were working on this? Uh, I don't know that we talked about either of them. Huh. I think that you know. I remember when Zach and I were working on the initial version of this a couple of years ago. I was going to say, we definitely talked about um, The Hurt Locker. And I think that, like, hilariously, I saw The Hurt Locker uh, for the first time doing research for that because mm -hmm. I somehow oh. missed it when it came out in theaters. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it was a little bit of... Um, it definitely informed the project in its like very, very embryonic stage a long time ago. Um, Hurt Locker to me, it's so thoroughly and completely a war movie. Yeah. Like it is so thoroughly kind of about this lawless space that is being made more lawless by the presence of these devices. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. we were much more interested always in kind of like a lawless element in the middle of kind of a An civilized, ordered, organized, right? Yeah, um, the tension of mm -hmm. impending disaster. And so I think that yeah, we were it, I, it changes the character profoundly um, between the uh, I'm forgetting the character's name, but the Jeremy Renner character in that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who is adrift otherwise, like in he's right. just you know having to deal with sort of the element X of a war zone and right. also the heightened tension of coming face to face with explosives. Whereas mm -hmm. we were sort of able to, I think to play it a little bit more cleanly with um, Teller of just like, Oh, this is, this is a person who's just slightly tweaked and his calm, happy place is in front of a dangerous thing. But, you know, in a normal environment, he behaves differently kind of a thing. Yeah. I think the two movies that actually did come up when we were talking about well, the Cleo audio from drama five to seven. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> what um, you naturally think of when you think about both. Uh, well, yes, uh, yes. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, like that that movie sets a timer in its first it minute, um, and then you're off to the races. Um, no, we were talk. We talked a lot about the argentinian anthology wild tales yes we did and we oh, talked yeah. about um blind spotting which just came out this year um yeah and i think we had mm -hmm. seen a, like a few weeks mm -hmm. prior both of which are kind of movies about what are the expectations of living in civilized life what happens when those expectations get pushed what happens when you need to kind of lose control in a certain way 
in order to remind yourself of who you are and what you are and in order to do what needs to be done in order to be civilized in space. Um, and I think that we were drawing much more from that. Yeah, than sure. We were from kind of um, traditional bomb disposal. Bomb movies. Yeah. 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 Right. Which makes sense. So the bomb is the thing that creates this <laughs> clarifying pressure. I mean, it does. It, it makes like you throw things into relief. Now you will all die if you do the wrong thing. And yes. And therefore, that's gonna, that's a great window into into um, character and personhood and, and uh, I suppose the soul. Um, I see that. That's good. Um, but there, so there is a um, the real connection between external and internal, you know, uh, conflict in this thing. I mean, it is like a nice, tight example of good screenwriting uh, in 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 this little radio is the three most episode arc. Yeah. Right, right, right. Radio is the most wow. visual medium. Yeah, like there are lessons to be learned there, um, and one of them is that if you just have this melodramatic machine and you repeat it it doesn't have to feel like repetition each repetition becomes deeper and more complex and more more engaging because we get to get to know these people over the over the night the single night we do that was the hope and especially um when you're going to present them with a similar situation as at, like you say the, and similar stakes um every time they encounter a bomb you know, you then want to make it about something that is a little bit more, a little bit sideways of diffusing a bomb. Are you going to do more bomb stuff? <laughs> so, you would like I mean, to. Like, it's such a, okay, so it's a, such a great premise, right? And and I'm glad that it had its flowering, but are you, is it back in the drawer? Or are you thinking of using this or working it in, from, from other projects, other directions? Um... We really, really liked putting this mini series together. And we definitely, half of us were, I think like we were half thinking of it as a single mini series that will be done in full. And half of it, we were thinking of it as this is a great pilot yes. for, and proof of concept for the series to be had. And we had a great time writing these stories. We had an amazing time working with this cast. Seriously. And we would love to do it again this was also exactly as much as we could afford to make on yeah. our own um and that right now is i think like the major hurdle to overcome yeah. of just where are the resources going to come from to find the time to do this to right. pay everyone that is involved to right put this together and the um, the podcasting ecosystem is excitingly growing at a rapid clip and the economics especially in like a primarily ad-based economy of you know of of mm. podcasting hasn't really figured out what to do with audio drama yet because mm -hmm. they just expect inventory that is just by nature of art you know artists being worth what they're worth you know you can't turn around a series like this the way you can turn around a comedian blabbing um right. and so right. you know um so but you're, you're seeing some interesting things with uh you know stitchers doing their premium content it looks like spotify is turning their their giant sarah and i of 
of money towards podcasting. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, I, you know, I think that as um, as audiences discover this content, because I think there are a lot of people out there that just don't know that it's there that would uh -huh. love it. Uh -huh. um, and, and, you know, I, I think with Alexa now in like something, some crazy number of homes, you're going to see more and more people getting like delivered things that they in audio that they may not have otherwise known they would like. I, I'm, I'm optimistic right. that um, that there are going to be more resources for projects like this. But as Gabrielle, you know, sort of pointed out, this is something that uh, we would either need to if we wanted to work with our audiences, to, you know, do a Kickstarter or uh, a more serious uh, push on a Patreon. Um, but that's the idea. Or try and find uh, or, institutional patrons Right, exactly. Or, yeah, right, or we would need a fairy godmother. with another yeah. uh, production company or a larger studio. Um, and that that is part of our stretch goal with No Bad Ideas, although we don't have uh -huh. a specific project that we're pushing on it right now, is that as that buys back more of our time from freelance work, we could theoretically develop projects like this. Thank you for listening to the C-Film Podcast. As I mentioned at the start, Gabriel Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti have now teamed up to offer an online course called Audio Fiction 101. The class includes 36 videos broken down into three units, and it all got started at a series of workshops they presented to film students here at Wesleyan. You can find out more about that, as well as more about Time Bombs and Wolf 359 at fearofpublicshame.com. That's fearofpublicshame, all one word, dot com. Meanwhile, keep listening to this podcast, the C-Film Podcast, on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm.